1: Supergirl Radio, your source for all things related to the CW Supergirl TV series and the character of Cara el My name is Rebecca Johnson, and for this episode of the podcast, we are joined by librarian, researcher, superhero fan, and recurring Supergirl Radio guest Ian Boucher to discuss Red Daughter's favorite book. The Great Gatsby, written by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Welcome back to Supergirl Radio, Ian. We've had you on a couple of times, uh, but now this is the, the first time we're going to get to really talk about season four stuff, so I'm glad to have you
0: back. It's great to be back.
1: Well, this is the perfect time for you to come and talk about Supergirl because we are going to talk about books and uh, stories in those books so i'm glad to have a, a librarian come on to uh, discuss it with me and i know you love stories and you love um some some classics in in the book world so i'm, I'm glad to have you on and uh, looking forward to talking to you about the great gatsby but before we get to gatsby we need to get to the news Supergirl, the complete fourth season, will be coming to Blu-ray and DVD on September 17th, 2019. Fans can purchase the sets, which, in addition to all 22 episodes from season four, also contain the DC crossover featurette, the show's 2018 Comic-Con panel, deleted scenes, and a gag reel. All three DC Crossover Elseworlds episodes will also be available only for fans who purchased the Blu-ray set. Supergirl the Complete Fourth Season will also be available to own on digital via purchase from digital retailers. So I am very excited about this set, uh, not only because it's another season of Supergirl, but I, my, I think my favorite poster of Supergirl ever is on the cover of this Blu-ray set, and it's a beautiful. I love the the poster with the the red background and Supergirl standing there, you know, looking really strong. So I enjoy the poster. So right away, just visually, it looks great. Um, but I am also very excited about the crossover Elseworlds featurette. I think that's pretty cool. And there's something also called Villains Modes of Persuasion.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: So I'm. Very curious what that is about uh, especially since the se- the season four villains I I guess they-, they could have lots to talk about in terms of persuasion because you had Agent Liberty, you had Lex Luthor, all very dynamic guys.
0: Manchester black
1: Manchester black uh, but I hope that the villains featurette features Mercy Graves RIP never forget um (laughs) she she went too early um and then i also hope it has a hat as part of manchester black and the elite maybe put a little uh menagerie in there uh, because those were some persuasive characters so uh, i'm very curious about what the villains featurette has uh has to do On the Blu-ray. So that's very exciting. That's coming out right before uh, season five will premiere. And speaking of which, how did you like that segue, Ian? That was a
0: pretty good segue.
1: It was perfect. It was great. I'm very proud of myself. (laughs) And if you want to look ahead to next season, the CW has announced that season five will premiere on Sunday, October 6th. So if you like to plan your rewatches or uh, you know your schedule around when Supergirl is airing like i do um sunday october 6th is the day when season five will premiere and uh just as a reminder it's going to be coming after batwoman batwoman will be uh airing the hour before in supergirl's former time slot so we're going to be watching supergirl an hour later than normal on sundays Uh, which is still i think very strange that batwoman is before supergirl but uh, that is what they have chosen to do. We'll see how it turns out. Uh, but The World's Finest are, are going to be on Sundays, and we will get to see the premiere of Season 5 on October 6th. And another friendly reminder I just want to leave you with, uh, DCTV Podcast is holding its fifth annual charity fundraiser on June 29th, which is coming up. That's a Saturday, and we are going to be raising money for Magic Wheelchair. You can find out how to donate and listen by visiting com slash fundraiser. And the cool thing about the fundraiser is if you can't join us on June 29th, you can go ahead and donate. You can still donate uh, you don't have to do it on June 29th you can do it anytime from now until then so feel free to go over to dctvpodcast.com fundraiser and that will uh, give you the link to go to the fundraising page that we have set up with magic wheelchair and as a reminder about the scheduling for the podcasting marathon which is always a ton of fun it's practically I think now we have, a complete half a we're half a day now. It's not just a couple of hours, it's like 12 hours. So <laughs> we will be podcasting for half of the day on Saturdays. So uh, Supergirl radio is actually going to be at 8 p.m Eastern. We are the last hour. So we got to bring it home. So you guys got to come out and join us at 8 p.m. Eastern on June 29th. And we will be talking some Supergirl.
0: That's so awesome.
1: Well, we are excited about it. It's like the highlight of the podcasting year for a lot of us here at DC TV Podcast. It's a lot of fun. Everybody comes out, joins the chat. We all kind of just hang out and enjoy uh, being together and listening to a lot of podcasts. So it's a lot of fun. So uh, June 29th, Saturday, dctvpodcast.com slash fundraiser. Get in on it. All right. Now that we have covered all of those news items, let's talk about Red Daughter's favorite book and the one she read most out of all the books that Lex Luthor gave her, The Great Gatsby. I am very excited about this, and because I read The Great Gatsby when I was in high school. Oh, wow. So it was a long time ago. We're not going to talk about how long ago that was. But... <laughs> Uh, I remember really liking it when I was in high school um I did read that uh when the Great Gatsby actually came out it it had mixed reviews some a lot of people didn't like it uh mm-hmm. but when Rebecca Johnson was in high school, she liked it very much. Thank you very much uh so <laughs> so this has been a story that I have enjoyed all of my life and i have seen the the two biggest and most famous film adaptations of it. Uh, So I'm a big fan of The Great Gatsby. And uh, I was curious, what is your background with The Great Gatsby?
0: It's a very interesting background, as a matter of fact. I am probably one of the few Americans who somehow didn't have to read it in high school. (laughs) Uh, So my first experience with the book, not counting the posters, of the billboard that my other classmates drew uh, was for Supergirl Radio. Nice. Yeah. um, This was the first time I read the book. I had seen the Baz Luhrmann movie in the theater when it came out, um, but I had not read the book.
1: Well, you're welcome. Uh, I'm glad you had (laughs) the experience of diving into this book Uh, Because of the podcast and I thank you for taking the time to actually read it into your research and your preparation uh, For this discussion that we are gonna have
0: Hey, just give me an excuse to talk about books and i'm there.
1: Well, uh, I will make a note of that for the future Um, So, uh, be careful what you wish for uh, when you go (laughs) when you come on supergirl radio (laughs) um, so Let's let's talk about kind of the, the, the basics premise and story of The Great Gatsby, just in case some of the listeners have not read it uh, and they have not had that experience uh, in high school like I did, like you did not. Uh, maybe. Uh, well, let's just run down quickly kind of what the story is about. And if you want to talk about some of the, the bigger, broader themes that you got out of it. Um, but. Uh, give give us a rundown of kind of what the story is.
0: My rundown of The Great Gatsby is about a a young guy named Nick who's living in 1920s New York and he moves to Long Island from the Midwest where he has this very larger-than-life neighbor named Gatsby who throws these very extravagant parties. Everybody from all over town comes to be a part of these and he eventually becomes intertwined with Gatsby's life and his attempts to win back a woman who he had fallen in love with many years before.
1: And we should probably mention that that woman, Daisy, was is married at the time yes. uh, that all of this is happening in the book. She's married to a man named Tom. So there's a little bit of a, a will-they-won't-they they, and a, a love triangle, which we here at Supergirl Radio detest, uh, enormously but um, but actually within the context of this story I'm okay with it a little bit just because there is some there are consequences to that relationship drama so while I normally don't like it I think the great, The Great Gatsby does a good job of it
0: yeah and the larger themes of the book that are told through these characters are kind of about nostalgia and the American dream and always striving for something but in the words of LeVar Burton, you don't have to take our word for it. <laughs> Actually, yeah, that is the plot, but you can still read it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and so the, I guess, spoiler alert, um, some things happen. Um, uh, Gatsby and Daisy, they get in a car one night. So, so I guess we should back up. Uh, Daisy's husband, Tom, is also having a little bit of a love affair with another character named Myrtle. So uh, Daisy and Tom don't really, uh, they, they don't seem to love each other very much, and they're sort of going out uh, on their own to uh, spend their time with someone else. And there is a very famous car crash that happens mm-hmm. uh, in the story where uh, Daisy is actually driving the car that accidentally hits and kills Myrtle, but Gatsby is blamed for it. And uh, Myrtle's husband, who is another part of this, I don't know what it's becoming now. It was a love triangle, but now then it was a quadrangle.
0: And, a pentagon. Uh,
1: yes, I guess a, I guess it's a love pentagon now at this point, now that uh, Myrtle's husband is involved. And so he comes to Gatsby's house at the very end of the story, and he shoots and kills Gatsby. And uh, so that's kind of how the the relationship drama ends up. And it's a very tragic ending. Um, but I think the way it's handled in both the book and the movies, and we'll talk about a little bit of the movie adaptations because I think those are worth exploring a little bit. Uh, because, oh, man, Baz Lerman, Love him. I don't know why I never put him on like my... You know, top five film directors list. Like I think he would be on there, but that's a whole other thing. We'll talk about that later. Um, so that's kind of the gist of The Great Gatsby. It is about this man named Jay Gatsby, who is uh, very wealthy, and he does have uh, a longing for this this woman named Daisy, and tries to rekindle that relationship. And it it kind of you know goes <laughs> it goes in a way that he was not hoping it would go. So uh, yes. it's a very tragic story, and it's based uh, largely around the relationships, but it's told through the eyes of Nick, um, the, the narrator who guides us through it. Um, and so why do you think, so this comes up, the whole reason that we're talking about it on Supergirl radio is because it, it gets mentioned in season four of Supergirl. Uh, Lex Luthor is trying to indoctrinate I would say is a fair word to use uh, indoctrinate red daughter very much so yeah into into the way of hating america and and wanting to use that to um sculpt her into this this american hating uh russian weapon in order to achieve the ends of his plan
0: Kaznian weapon a
1: yeah, Kaznian weapon exactly and so she is given this list of books to read And she takes to The Great Gatsby. Uh, Lex notices that it's the book that she has read over and over again. And it's her favorite book out of all the books on the list. She really takes to The Great Gatsby. So I was wondering, Ian, why do you think that is? Why would Red Daughter read this and want to keep reading it?
0: Well, Red Daughter is a clone of Kara without her memories. And Kara, I... Consider her to be an idealist, a romantic, and an optimist. So, Red Daughter saw the nuance in the book that Kara probably would not just the drama of the plot, but the way that the writing brings out the humanity and the gray and the bittersweet areas and uh, the complex world. And I think Lex underestimated who Kara is by assigning this to Red Daughter um, because he underestimated that she would see more. In the world than he does, because Lex doesn't believe in people or their ability to ask critical questions.
1: I think that's a really interesting observation about the humanity aspect of the characters and how Red Daughter sees that. Uh, that that's a, That's a really cool idea, because in the book... Nick is the character who guides us through getting to know Gatsby and observing all of his, uh, you know, parties that are so over the top. And the the parties are a way to try to get Daisy to come and, and all of the things that are going on with the different dynamics and the relationships. Nick is the one telling us what is going on the whole time. And through that, and for me, anyway, Nick is the one who... Uh, sees more of who gatsby really is. He's not just the guy who hosts these extravagant parties and he's a you know wealthy guy or even just the part of him being a military veteran and all of that kind of thing. He sees the essence of who Gatsby is and that's why at the end of the, the story it's really sad Gatsby when he dies and they try to have a funeral for him but nobody comes. It's yep. it's like Nick and Gatsby's father I think is is that correct? I'm pretty sure that's right.
0: And then there's the old man with the owl eyes who we never learn his name. Yes. But but he shows up and he's and he's like, "Oh, where is everybody?" And Nick's like, "Oh, they they couldn't make it or they couldn't they couldn't find the house."
1: Yeah, not e- not even Daisy comes uh to to pay her respects to to Gatsby after he's uh died. And so Nick I I think is the character who really sees who Gatsby is uh down to his, you know, his his bare essentials and it's not just who he portrays himself to be, but who he really is. So that's a really cool observation about how Red Daughter uh would see the characters and and uh really uh, empathize with them. Uh, because Red Daughter, I think, is, you know, she's new to everything when she yes. is when she is created out of uh, some, some, I guess, super, Supergirl's connection to the hair and L. She's somehow we just have to go with it. She she is created. <laughs> she is a whole nother Supergirl. And so she comes into this world not really knowing what things are, she has to learn a lot about everything. She has to learn languages, she has to learn ideas, she has to learn uh, relationships to people and what the relationship to Kania you know Kasnia has to the rest of the world, you know specifically America. And so she is having to learn all of this. And so I think it's very interesting that she does learn a little bit about America through the the great Gatsby. Because uh, especially when she goes, I think it's in the house of the House of L episode where she and Lex go to America, yes. and they go to Kara's apartment, and she sees, oh my gosh, she has all of this food in her fridge. That's all for her, and she sees that Kara, because of where she lives, she is able to uh, have a lot of food in her refrigerator. She is uh, able to have comfort in her house. She is able to have a lot of clothing and so i think that she sees a, a, a lot of different sides of america when she comes she uh gets sort of mm, not cat cat called's not the the word for it, but she sort of gets sleazily hit on by the ameritech guys mm-hmm. at the at the hotel and so she gets that american experience and then she sees how cara lives and uh she runs into lena and, you know, sees that Kara has friends and that humanizes uh, Kara and Supergirl a little bit more. So I think it's really interesting that she gets not only a view of America through her trip with Lex Luthor, but she does get a little bit of Americana through The, the Great Gatsby
0: as well. Since she's a copy of Kara, I, I really think that she has a predisposition to sort of having an eye and, um, and an open mind toward the complexity of things and and even when she starts to more to become more of a follower of lex and she goes to america and she sees all the food in the refrigerator one of the things that makes her sort of think about the other sides of america is when she reads Carr's journal and and gets a lot of insight into into who Kara is and what she's trying to do and how she's trying to help people.
1: Yeah, and that is sort of like Nick Carraway, where he's writing to tell us about his experiences with Gatsby and with Daisy and everything that he witnesses, you know, in the West Egg. Uh, and and so I think that the the journaling aspect that's a that's a that's another great point that uh, she uh, sees the human side of Kara. Even you talked about the seeing the humanity of these characters and um i think that <laughs> kara writing down her thoughts and i think some of her thoughts were like about catco and and being around miss grant yeah. <laughs> so i think those things are, you know those those hesitancies or those fears or those insecurities that kara has she writes them down in her journal and uh red daughter can experience what kara is going through by what she writes in there and so i think red daughter finds a connection to Kara because of that journal. And I think that's a really, really good point. So uh, in some ways, Kara is the the Nick Carraway of the story. But I also wonder if Red Daughter could s- sort of be a, a version of the Nick character because Nick is experiencing all these new things and he's having to learn how the culture around West Egg works and who, uh, you know, Gatsby's relationships to everybody and um i think red daughter is that new character who's coming in and trying to learn how the world works so i i don't think we can do a direct uh correlation between them but i think that the the journaling aspect and the 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 new character who's coming in to try to ex- experience something i i think is the the nick caraway character is i think found in the season 4 story a little bit
0: and like nick Red Daughter judges others, but she also has empathy and, and she understands and sees the good and the bad in the people around her.
1: Oh yeah, that is definitely part of Nick's character because he's he uh he's part. Of, well, I guess he's not part of, but he is there when some of these relationship uh, drama situations are happening, where people are partially having affairs with other people and he's having to figure out how does he fit into this and what does he do does he walk away and leave these people alone does he say something um so i think in the end nick uh leaves it up to those people to make decisions for themselves and he uh he does have a great deal of empathy for what gatsby goes through Because he does see that human side of him.
0: And he acknowledges the flaws in himself, too.
1: Yeah, I think that's something that's very vulnerable about the character of Nick in The Great Gatsby is that we get all of his feelings. We get all of what he sees. We get what he is not only thinking about other people, but what he's thinking about in terms of, you know, coming from within, what he's thinking about himself, what he's thinking about when he sees other people. So I, I think that's a, a really uh, uh, another great point because I think with especially with the Kara's journal, she she does write a little bit about other people. But I think she, you know, really focuses in on how she's experiencing the world. So I do. Uh, I like that idea that um, Nick, I think, is more if we're going to compare, like, for example, Nick to Kara. I think Nick is a little more open about his feelings and his um, his flaws. And I think that's a really good point because Kara, unfortunately, I don't know sometimes... Well, I guess there were certain aspects of season four when she was struggling over whether or not to tell Lena her secret. Uh, I, I don't know if that could be considered a flaw. But sometimes, I don't know, I, I struggle with the show because they... They make Car out to be the greatest reporter in the world, even though she kind of doesn't go to her job very much, and you know, <laughs> and uh, so sometimes it's hard to see where her flaws are and if she acknowledges them within herself. At least in season four, I think that was hard to find. I think season three hit that pretty hard, and uh, I think that's what made me care so much more about Car was doing in season three is that she was struggling with her internal conflicts and. And how she was handling everything. So um, there are parts of the show that I think do that really well. But season four, I don't know. I would have to think about that in terms of uh, being able to recognize her flaws.
0: Well, one thing in season four is that there were moments when the characters around her would point out something that she wasn't noticing. They were there to kind of help her reflect. Like, I remember she had... an argument with um, John Jones about him not wanting to just come out and fight with his fists, how he wanted to be supportive in another way that was early in the season. But there, there were times when um, in all the seasons when she gets very much into herself and somebody else is there to say, Whoa, Kara, what are you doing? (laughs) Kind of a thing.
1: I hate to say it, but I wish that happened more often. I think that could maybe, and for a lot of those characters, I think that could happen more often. Like, hey, what are you doing?
0: <laughs> right.
1: Um, but yeah, I think it is, uh, I think some of the previous seasons have done that really well in terms of um, helping Kara see the things in herself that maybe she could work on. Uh, but I think that is something that, especially in The Great Gatsby, that's a really strong point of the narration of the story. Uh, is is getting to see the good and the bad. I, I think you even mentioned nuance earlier. I think there's a great deal of nuance in The Great Gatsby. All of these people are making really bad decisions, and they are not doing they well, they are doing things they shouldn't be doing. But uh, there is a level of empathy from Nick where he he sees that, especially with Gatsby. You know, Gatsby really loves Daisy, and he he gets that. So um, there is a, a, a fine line to walk there <laughs> between those two uh, dynamics. Well, we've talked a little bit about Red Daughter and why she would enjoy uh, the book so much. She calls it beautiful and lush. Uh, she likes the language and she she even tells Lex. She, she can't imagine the world that way, the, the way it's written in the book. Um, are there any parts of the book that really stand out to you that Reflect Red Daughter's description of the story about it being beautiful and lush in terms of the language?
0: Yeah, there are many lines. And one thing that I really liked about the book in general is how much it shows and doesn't tell. Like one entry that I read about Great Gatsby from the literary encyclopedia put it really well. They said that the book presents a series of dramatized scenes which aimed to suggest meanings by dialogue and behavior rather than by direct authorial commentary. So you had to like figure things out by the nuances of what the characters were saying without something that was being directly stated. And there was a scene where Gatsby was disappointed about Daisy's reaction to the first party of his that she attended. And the line says, he broke off and began to walk up and down a desolate path of fruit rinds and discarded favors and crushed flowers. I, th- I I thought that was a beautiful sentence. And another sentence that really stood out to me was near the end of the book when Gatsby starts to tell Nick everything. Nick writes that, in quotes, Jay Gatsby, end quote, had broken up like glass against Tom's hard malice. Mm. Um, I thought that was a very powerful line.
1: Yeah, uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald really writes the uh, sadness very well and communicates that in a way that's very just, I mean, the whole book is so descriptive. And what I like about that is that I can envision it in my head. I think those are always the best books is when you can read them and you can see it like you can, I mean, it's so specific and you can just you can just picture everything in your head. And I hate to say it, but I don't have the book in front of me because I guess high school Rebecca put that book somewhere and it didn't make a move. <laughs> um, but I did re-listen to it uh, on audiobook. And uh, I, I found that to be a different experience in, in order to, to follow along with what was happening. So uh and you have the book in front of you?
0: Kind of. I have a Project Gutenberg version online because I had to check my print version back into the library.
1: So in the story, Gatsby had his big his big old house is directly across from Daisy and Tom's house, and it's separated by this body of water. And he can look out from his dock, I guess, and see the the green light and that green light uh, sort of symbolizes. Daisy. And some people say it's symbolizing the you know his his longing for Daisy and striving for something.
0: I, I do know that it mentions the green light throughout the book, and it also I think it also factors in at the very end, too. But yeah, that's very powerful imagery. Uh,
1: yeah, so read so read the very ending about the green light.
0: And as I sat there brooding on the old, unknown world, I thought of Gatsby's wonder when he first picked out the green light at the end of Daisy's dock. He had come a long way to this blue lawn, and his dream must have seemed so close that he could hardly fail to grasp it. He did not know that it was already behind him, somewhere back in the vast obscurity beyond the city, where the dark fields of the Republic rolled on under the night. Gatsby believed in the green light. The orgastic future that year by year recedes before us. It eluded us then, but that's no matter. Tomorrow we will run faster, stretch out our arms farther, and one fine morning— And then there's a long dash. So we beat on Boats Against the Current, borne back ceaselessly into the past.
1: F. Scott Fitzgerald could end a book. See, I think that's really important because (laughs) it's almost like watching a a great film. If you have a last shot that is just so well executed and you leave the theater and all you're thinking about is that last shot, that's how you end a movie. And uh, I think F. Scott Fitzgerald, for me re I guess listening to the book uh, I was very impacted by the fact that his the way he could close out uh, a thought process I thought really it grabbed my attention and made me come to a a conclusion about what I had just heard even if it was just in the end of a, a, a chapter in the middle of the book so I really I gravitated towards the way he could wrap up, you know, wrap up a thought. So those, those things I really enjoyed. And I think the green light is such a, for me, that is an iconic image from the book. And there are several other ones like the, the, the sign of the eyeglasses that is supposed to be symbolic of, you know, God seeing everything that these people are doing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think I, when I think about the great Gatsby, I think about the sign with the glasses I think about the green light, and I think about the big parties, um, and so I think that that's that. To me, I think maybe to bring it back to to Red Daughter is that the things that she she what she's doing, she's kind of trying to do on the down low with Lex Luthor for a good chunk of it, and even even when she attacks the White House as Supergirl. She is still trying to play herself off as Supergirl. But those things that she's doing, like, eventually come out in the light. Like, she eventually gets discovered, and she can't hide from all of that stuff anymore. So, and, and even, I, we could say that about Lex Luthor as well. Like, his, his plan kind of goes without a hitch for a little while, but in the end, they discover what's going on. So, I think that's a lesson to take away from the book, which I know sounds really depressing, But it's uh, it's a good reminder that the things, uh, you know, be careful about what you do and uh, make good decisions.
0: Yeah, more supervillains really need to read The Great Gatsby.
1: I think it's a great lesson in that your actions have consequences. Uh, (laughs) And it's unfortunate for Gatsby because he didn't actually do anything wrong. He was trying to help the situation and he gets blamed for someone's death. And because of that... He ends up getting shot. Um, And so I think that's maybe a good segue to talk about Lex Luthor and why Lex Luthor is someone who recommends this book to Red Daughter. This is a book that he thinks is necessary for her education. So why do you think that he assigned it to her?
0: Well, you touched a bit on this already, but I think he considered it required reading because— of its major themes of portrayal of capitalist excess with Gatsby's parties and its critique of the American dream with Gatsby being undone by old money. And by old money, I mean people who have been around money for a very long time. There, there are, people are constantly talking about, wondering about, where did Gatsby get his money from? Oh, he probably did this or he probably did that, did that. Or I heard he killed a man and Tom... Is like oh well he's probably a bootlegger most of these new money people are, so Gatsby pursues Daisy and nostalgia like the book calls it a grail, um, and so I think that pursuit of of money and I, I think that pursuit of of money and and that idea of the American dream the critique of it is why Lex would have wanted to require it, because he wanted to condition Red Daughter against American society and get her to buy into the ideology of the Kasnean government, which, as Lex said in the episode, the House of L wanted to reclaim the Soviet Union. But having said all that, I do think that at the same time, Gatsby is about the futility of trying to reclaim the past which i think puts a glaring hole in lex's plan (laughs) but maybe he thought that focusing on the capitalism part was enough and we do know that he enjoys the challenge of putting clues in there so maybe he wanted the challenge of red daughter to say wait a minute lex this says that we shouldn't pursue the past, and then he would carry that with something else.
1: Yeah, Lex holds on a lot to the past. We know because he had he basically made a burn book about Superman and, <laughs> and all the stuff that had gone on uh, in the past where he wanted to get revenge on Superman. Um, and he even uh, made notes about Lena and her going out and riding horses without him. Like he, he, he really does hold on to the past. Don't <laughs> he let does. Him, don't let Lex Luther fool you. He he has lots of uh, um, grudges to hold.
0: <laughs> and his whole plan is about getting Superman.
1: <laughs> yes, eventually getting to the point where he can actually kill Superman um, yeah. and becoming the hero for the people instead. Uh, yeah, no, I, I struggle with Lex Luthor and his uh, connection to The Great Gatsby because he while he does say that the book is isn't pretty and that it's vapid and it's about vapid and profligate fools. And he does say money is always acquired at someone else's expense. And he's talking about how um, The Great Gatsby is is about, you know, Gatsby's wealth. Uh, but I think Lex Luthor is a lot like Gatsby. I think he. I think it's strange that he and maybe this was just a way to um, to make Red Daughter hate America. Maybe deep down he actually really likes the the great Gatsby and maybe he sees a little bit of himself in Jay Gatsby. But for his purposes, he wanted Red Daughter to read it in a certain way. But uh, I just think it's very strange because when I think about Lex Luthor, I think he would like I think he would like Jay Gatsby. Jay Gatsby was uh, a man that everyone uh, thought was fantastic. He was somebody who was wealthy, but he uh, had all, everything at his disposal. He could have done anything, and he did build himself up. He was Gatsby was from old money, but at the end, they talk about how he did have a list that he, you know, what. You know, uh, a certain time of day, I forget what the time is, like 9 to 9.15, work out, 10 to 10.15, you know, 10.15 to 11.15, I'm going to do some work. Like he was a man who made a schedule and he was wanting to work on himself. And I think Lex Luthor would respect that in some respe- in some respects. So I think it's weird in, on some level that he would not have liked The Great Gatsby because I think even even to the point he has a connection to Jay Gatsby that at the end of season four, Lex Luthor is shot when he doesn't expect it. And Jay Gatsby is murdered in his pool, in his home, um, uh, by gunshot. So I think there are some similarities between Lex and Gatsby. So I... I'm. I kind of go back and forth on it uh, because I can see why he would use the Great Gatsby as a, sort of a, a little bit of a propaganda tool. But I think he would have. Uh, I think he would have been friends with Gatsby. I think he would have gone to Gatsby's parties.
0: And what were they both undone by? Green light.
1: Oh, Ian, drop the mic.
0: <laughs> yeah, I. I think he. I think there's a lot about the book that Lex would like. I mean, he's clearly not talking. He's not being completely honest with red daughter about the book. He's, he's portraying the role of a teacher, but I think he would definitely like the book for the judging people parts. (laughs) I think he might find the nuance of the language intellectually stimulating. Um, I'm not sure if he really cares about the nuances in it that we were kind of talking about. Um, and i also think that there's an element of the book that sort of asks us to be to kind of take a step back from the melodrama going on and kind of like observe it more objectively and i i like there's a part where nick uses the words appalling sentimentality i feel like i feel like lex would enjoy that and i think and I think that he would likely find the loneliness and rejection of Gatsby very cathartic because Lex very much has this idea of, of like what you were saying. I built myself up from nothing, and um, and everybody everybody leaves me. Um, nobody sees what I'm trying to do. Um, like it's me against the world kind of a thing. Um, I don't think Gatsby would see it that way, but I think that I think that Lex would find the book cathartic in that regard
1: that i agree with and i think for lex i don't think he would have and i think you mentioned this the the melodrama the relationship the romance of it i don't think lex would have given that any time of day but red daughter might have picked up on that when she's talking about the beautiful and lush language she might also be referring to the relationships and the The love story that is in there, the tragic love story that's in there, Um, so that may be something that she would have been more drawn to because I think there's part of that in Kara too. Yeah, that Kara does have uh, big ideals about love and romance, and um, so that I think you know is something that maybe maybe Red Daughter would pick up on as well, even if she didn't have you know she didn't have a love story per se uh in her time during season 4 but i think she would have had those Uh, she would have been connected to that a little bit. So I think there are things in the book that Lex would not have been drawn to, but maybe Red Daughter would have.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Well, um, so we've talked about the book, and I am curious uh, if you've seen any of the film adaptations of The Great Gatsby. And if you have, do you have one that you think is uh, one you would recommend?
0: Well, uh, the only film adaptation I've seen was... Also, my actual first experience with the story, which was the Baz Luhrmann movie, and I liked it a lot when I saw it in the theater. I haven't seen it since then. I, after reading the book, I do want to see it again. Um, I really liked its use of music, and especially after reading the book, I think that Leonardo DiCaprio as Gatsby and Joel Edgerton as Tom were spot-on casting Um or like at least they performed the characters really well, at least in my mind's eye. And I'm really interested in seeing the movie again because the book makes me see it in a more complicated light. But in my mind's eye, I do recommend the movie because as you were sort of mentioning, it's very visually interesting, and Baz Luhrmann is such a creative filmmaker, so you should definitely catch any of his movies when you have the chance
1: oh yeah and it's funny Baz Luhrmann uh his Moulin Rouge when it came out I I went to go see it and I was like what is this (laughs) (laughs) like my first time with that movie I was like what am I watching and then I saw it a second time and I was like this is now one of my favorite movies I don't know how it happened I don't know how it happened but I love (laughs) I love Moulin Rouge so much um so sometimes give a give a film another shot you never know what's gonna happen
0: you should always watch a movie at least twice as you and i have talked about many times i hated ai the first time i saw it and then i liked it a lot the second time and and then i was kind of like um on the fence about some things the third time and i haven't seen it in a while but um every time you see a movie you might experience something new
1: supergirl radio listeners should know that ian (laughs) has for years been trying to get me to rewatch AI, <laughs> and I refuse to do
0: it. <laughs> it's still fun to suggest
1: <laughs> I it, refuse though. to do it. I don't want to waste my time again. But um, <laughs> But I appreciate your love for that movie, and I respect it, and I'm glad that someone out there enjoys it. Uh, you know all of the aliens and the blue fairy and, and the talking teddy bear and everything. It's the best. I, <laughs> I'm so glad that you enjoy that. But um, but yeah, for the most part, except for the exception of AI, give an, give give films a second shot. <laughs> um, but yeah, so. I have seen, I think there's a couple of other like lesser known uh, film adaptations of The Great Gatsby. But the ones that I know of, of course, are the one with Robert Redford from 1974 and then Baz Luhrmann's 2013 version. Um, I will say that I do have a classic film crush on Robert Redford and very specifically Robert Redford uh, from the 1970s.
0: As do we all.
1: That's peak Robert Redford people you're going to get the best Robert Redford, uh, in that decade. And so that's right in the, in the span of it right there in the mid 1970s. Um, and so I think he, he makes for a really, like, I think I prefer him as Gatsby. Um, maybe just because of the way he looks, he's a little more attractive. Anyway, that's just my (laughs) personal opinion. Um, but I think he makes for a, 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 a better Gatsby, in my opinion, than Leonardo DiCaprio, although he's not bad. I think he's he's still good in his own way, but I do prefer uh, Mr. Redford. But I think as a film, uh, the Baz Luhrmann one is much, uh, it's just spectacular. It just, it visually, it is very engaging and very creative in the way that it communicates what is happening. Um, what sticks out in my mind are the The scenes when Gatsby is shot, there's a there and the film uses the the God shot, you know, the overhead shot looking down at everyone. And I think it's a really good use of that technique because there's a lot of uh, thematic elements of the great Gatsby of, you know, God looking down at people making these mistakes and making these choices. And uh, so it's a really great use of that. And that happens during that pool scene where he's in the pool. And uh, we're well, actually in this version, he's getting in the pool, I think. We're coming out of the pool. I can't remember now. He, but there's a pool. Gatsby is there. Um, and then uh, Wilson, uh, Mr. Wilson is coming up to shoot him, and there's a lot of really great uses of sound and uh, the way, uh, especially when Gatsby hits hits the water after being shot, and he hits the water right as the gun. Uh, that Wilson uh, shoots himself with. So uh, so that kind of choice is very interesting to me, um, even at the very end with the green light and how that ends up. Uh, so I, I think the Baz Luhrmann film has more to offer uh, creatively and visually and filmmaking-wise. Uh, but I do, if you like Robert Redford, as I do, as we all should. I do recommend watching The Great Gatsby from 1974. It is also very good. So we've talked quite a bit about The Great Gatsby, uh, the book version, the film versions, uh, and what how that ties into Red Daughter and Lex Luthor and season four of Supergirl. But we did see in The House of L that Lex Luthor recommended some other books for her to read. She had a long reading list. And I guess when you can super speed read you can get through that pretty quick. quickly. Me, I'm reading like 20 books at the same time. It's very difficult for me to finish a book. But a Red Daughter could get through it, no problem. Uh, so do you have any thoughts about any of the other books that Lex Luthor put on that list?
0: I do. For, for the books that have close-ups, I looked in some library databases to get a good idea about kind of the main points about what they represent. And I think Lex definitely had a primary reason for each of them. And some of the ones that I that really stood out to me were um, the first one, Thus Spoke Zarathustra, contains the idea of the thinking of a Superman as humans being able to realize their potential on their own terms without having to look to a higher power. So without me personally knowing too much about Nietzsche, my guess would be that Luther would want to use this book to facilitate transforming Red Daughter's idea of Superman from a superhero Kryptonian back into its quote unquote original meaning, meaning of a self-made unsuppressed human achievement.
1: The Ubermensch. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I like that idea that um, he would uh, try to distill her down into that and uh, kind of get her away from the, I guess, the more uh, sugar-coated version of supergirl where she is hope help and compassion compassion for all and she's the she's the good and she's she's the one out there doing the good things and i think lex did kind of want her to to be a different kind of supergirl in some respects
0: yeah he wants her to more support humanity in 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 a way in such a way where you would overthrow this sort of like Capitalist society that's full of excess kind of a thing, like to sort of fight for these more common people and and stop the class system and a society where they look up to these superheroic figures kind of a thing, you know, like Lex Luthor. (laughs) uh,
1: Yes. And that does play into Superman Red Sun as well. um, That that is kind of that idea in in that book as well.
0: Um, Another book that stood out was Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. I think this one is all in the title, but <laughs> <laughs> I think that Lex definitely wants Red Daughter to associate Rome with America. And another interesting thing that I saw in some of these encyclopedia entries I was looking at is that the book is skeptical of Christianity, so like nietzsche with with the idea of the Superman um going going back to that idea of humans creating their own achievements. And wanting to minimize this idea of looking to, um, higher powers and, um, like religious points of inspiration. Um, but another thing that stood out to me about it was one source said that it's also that the book is also skeptical of human hubris. So, Lex, once again, may not be looking deep enough into these books.
1: <laughs> he's just – he doesn't have that super speed read capability. He's just uh, reading the Cliff Notes versions, so he's not really getting um, the, the entire he's, <laughs> yes, He has stuff to do. Yes, he has stuff to do. He doesn't have time for all this stuff. So um, uh, I, I do think that that is a really good point about um, – uh, how he he may have uh, n- not done entirely all of his homework, but the the idea of maybe um, Lex Luthor being his own God, maybe uh, you talked about oh, yeah. Christianity and how, uh, of course, Nietzsche is very famous for saying God is dead Um and I think that Lex Luthor is a character who would see himself as uh, the the height of human achievement, and therefore he wouldn't need a god. Or he maybe uh, sees the Kryptonians as, as gods as Lex Luthor typically will in a lot of stories, and he's trying to take down God. So uh, I think that's a, a really interesting way to look at the uh, fall of the Roman Empire.
0: Another book that stood out was Their Eyes Were Watching God. And this book is about a woman who overcomes oppression to live life, as Lex might say, her way. Mm. <laughs> See what I did there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like uh, yeah, that that's little motif in season four.
1: That's a solid pun. Um, Frank Sinatra, I think, uh, got a little overused in <laughs> season four, but I will, uh, acknowledge that you made a solid pun slash joke and I appreciate it.
0: I'll take acknowledgement as a success. <laughs> um, so I think that Lex wants Red Daughter to, to think as liberating herself from America's power or something along those lines with that book.
1: Yeah, I think that's, a. A good point about how that might connect into Red Daughter specifically. I, I, I just went to the source of all knowledge, Wikipedia, and it says the novel explores main character Janie Crawford's ripening from a vibrant but voiceless teenage girl into a woman with her finger on the trigger of her own destiny. Mm. And I think that is actually uh, very much the description of Red Daughter, that she starts off as uh, a... a I don't want to say, with the the mind or the spirit of a young girl, but she has to she has to grow into her own, is what I'm trying to to get at. Like she starts right. it with somebody who needs to be molded into something, and uh, she ends up becoming her own woman, her own Kryptonian, her own Supergirl in a way, and she decides. Her actions, you know, yes. Lex guides her to be a certain way, but then she chooses at the end to sacrifice herself to save Supergirl, and so she is in charge of her own destiny. So, that, yeah, that is a really, really good uh, uh, call there about their eyes were watching God.
0: And the last one that I kind of looked into was the contribution to the critique of political economy, and okay. I, I think. The, just the basic premise of this book says a lot, and, and really, all the books on the list connect in really interesting ways. And this one is is basically a critique of leading capitalist ideals. So this would support Red Daughter's conditioning into the Casnean cause.
1: And I guess that would tie into a little, a little bit. Uh, it would tie into the Great Gatsby, in uh, some form, dealing with money and dealing with a, a capitalist society, mm-hmm. it's good to sort of take those books that were on screen and uh, talk about them in terms of what the importance is to the story. Because they they were chosen for a reason, all of them. Um, mm-hmm. And some of the books that we actually don't get to see but were um, tweeted by Eric Carrasco Um, one of the writers of Supergirl, and I believe the writer of the episode. Um, He he typically would share uh, behind-the-scenes things or Easter eggs when he did write an episode. So I'm so sorry that Eric Krosko's not writing on Supergirl anymore because that was really nice to have. Um, So we will miss him uh, from the show. But so some of the other books on that list were uh, The Sixth uh, Extinction, um let's see what else we got we got "Residence on earth the winds 12 quarters uh pale blue dot structure of scientific revolutions uh let's see we got book of five rings godel escher Bach," which i'm sure i did not pronounce correctly and we, we didn't talk about the course in general linguistics uh, which was uh, uh, the last one, I think, on the list. Um, but all of them have something to do with training Red Daughter, teaching Red Daughter, making sure she is aware of society and different uh, political ideologies and language and um, the the world. He's ba- Lex Luthor is grooming her to know what is happening in the world. And so these are the books that he thinks are the most necessary for her education. And so I think that it not only gives us a a good insight into Red Daughter, it gives us a good insight into Lex Luthor and what he thinks is important. Um, And so I I really appreciate that they went uh, the extra mile to think about these things, especially in the writing, to think about what would Lex Luthor instruct her on? What would he think would be necessary for her education? So I appreciate that the writing did make an effort to uh, dig into those details. And I'm very thankful for Eric Carrasco, who uh, gave us that big list and helped help us get a, an insight into what the writers think when they're they're writing these episodes.
0: And like any good television series or film, every element – it, in that sequence, when she's reading, supports these themes. I'm sure you noticed the music. Yes, from one of our mutually favorite movies.
1: This is a movie. So AI, I probably will never watch again.
0: It's not from AI,
1: but Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice. I will watch yes. a million times. But yes, that that music is from used as well in Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice, uh, notably in the scene where Diana is talking to the curator of uh, the museum gallery that she is attending, and she has an interaction with Bruce Wayne, which is excellent. So if you're curious about that, uh, go watch it. You should be watching it. Why have you not watched Batman v (laughs) Superman, Dawn of Justice is my question. Um, But yes, so you were saying about the music?
0: Yes. uh, Well, in Batman v Superman, it's in a scene that's all about Alexander the Great and people with great power as part of a central theme in that film. But in this sequence in Supergirl, the use of that song, not only does it sort of evoke DC imagery for um, for hardcore DC fans out there, but it's. I also looked up the composer just to see if there was any other significance to it. And I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing it, but um, I believe it's Dmitry Shostakovich. And f- from the little bit that I read about him... While preparing for this episode, um, he was a composer. He was a Russian composer during the Soviet Union. And it sounds like he had a conflicted relationship with the Soviet government, like many artists and writers did um, throughout the time of the Soviet Union. So I don't know if that was done on purpose or if it was if if it was used because of the significance of the composer or the origin of the composer or its significance to Batman v. Superman, but I thought that was interesting.
1: That is very interesting, and I think there is also a connection uh, between uh, both Supergirl and Batman v. Superman because of the Alexander the Great mm-hmm. uh, situation because they do talk about Red Daughter and and her kind of uh, going over the books that she's read. She she recognizes that Alec, her Alex, uh, who is Lex Luthor, is named after... Alexander the Great. So I think there are lots of connections in there. So I'm, I'm glad that you look that up. That's a, that's a great uh, bit of information for us to take in as we continue to think about these things. Well, is there anything else that you uh, want to leave us with in your uh, first visitation of the Great Gatsby and, and this story and how it connects to Supergirl? Do you have any closing thoughts for us?
0: Well, I like the dynamic a lot like it was definitely different going back to watch it a second time once you know Lex's plan and how it plays out because when I first saw it even though I knew that Lex most certainly had something despicable going on it seemed like maybe he could actually start caring about Red Daughter which also speaks to the power of his manipulation over me the viewer because all the pieces were right there in front of me chess pieces
1: (laughs) chess pieces even yes (laughs)
0: Um, like when he's walking in front of all the prisoners. But my second time around, Lex's relationship with Red Daughter is definitely a Petri dish project, as Lex would probably say. But it was I, I just found this dynamic to be so interesting to watch in terms of both of their experiences during the process, how Lex is trying to outmaneuver Red Daughter and really Kara's values. And brings it from this idea of friendship, because she thinks he, he's her friend at first, to dependence. Mm. And, and part of that dependence is with information. So if we're thinking about the books that he is giving her to read, um, I found it very interesting how he controls information. And conditioning Red Daughter to think a certain way about the world, rather than educating her to think critically about what's in the world. And so like, so for me, in this episode particularly, Lex is actually a supervillain librarian. <laughs> <laughs> like when someone comes to a library and wants to learn about a certain subject, my approach generally is to gather materials too, but not to condition them. Uh, it's more to provide them with a variety of materials on the subject from different perspectives to kind of give them a clear view on it. And another side of it would be helping the person coming into the library to learn to analyze things like sources, purposes, authors. What Lex was doing is gathering materials to make Red Daughter think a certain way. And ultimately, although Red Daughter inherently sees that the U.S. has gray areas and wants to learn the truth, since she needs Lex to put things into context for her and can't analyze the information herself— I think she's less able to overcome Lex's manipulation. I I just found the whole episode fascinating.
1: Yeah, and that's really unfortunate and sad when you think about it in those terms because when they start talking about the Great Gatsby and and Lex is like, "No, you can't think that way about it. It's not supposed yes. to be pretty." And she's like she's over here like but I liked it. I liked the way the language is written. I liked the way the story, you know, the, the story is beautiful and the, the language is so lush. And, and she is at that point thinking critically in terms of her opinion and her read of the book. But Lex is over there telling her, no, you can't think that way. You have to think about it my way. And you have to understand it through my, <laughs> my eyes. Way. Okay, okay. That was unintentional on my part, but <laughs> good callback. Um, so so I think there is something to that about how Red Daughter is not afforded the luxury of being able to think critically for herself on a, gra- on a, a grander, bigger level in terms of Lex's plan. But when you distill it down to even just her ability to read one of you know the great american literature classics the great gatsby uh, that to me is sad that she she wasn't able to really think for herself until before she died and uh, that that to me is sad on the, on on behalf of red daughter as a character uh,
0: another part of their dynamic that i found really interesting is how they kind of represent opposites with siblings which I think brought out a really unique dynamic between Supergirl and Lex that I really liked. It gave them something different that was different than Lex and Superman. Although I do think that there's something additional that you could connect to it with family and how they're both connected to the man of steel. But I thought the sibling thing was interesting and I actually have a question for you about that. Sure. Do you think that the mentions of rejection by Lena and James during the trial scene at the beginning where they were like, well, Lex wanted me to be with him. Lena says Lex wanted me to be with him, but when I wasn't on board with what he was doing, he threw me out of the company. And James says how he tried to get Superman to work for his company, but Superman saw who he was. And so do you think that Lex, Lex's... Or do you think that the mentions of rejection by Lena and James during the trial were a red herring, like... Is Lex acting on some level through his feelings of rejection or do you think he's just using that to appeal to others?
1: That is a really great question because we did joke about his burn book before and I do think there is (laughs) some level of Lex who does hold on to grudges and rejection and takes that very personally. But I think that could be something he would use as a cover for something else. Um, I don't don't know. That's a really interesting question because I, I think that Lex is a character driven by his ego. He wants to be the best of the best. He wants people to always be on his side and be with him. He wants, even in season four of Supergirl, he wants to be seen as a hero. He wants to Mm -hmm. be the guy who saves the day. That's his whole plan, (laughs) is that he's doing all this stuff so that... He'll create a little war and he'll save the day and stop the bad guys and become the hero who everybody celebrates. So there is something to the character of Lex Luthor, particularly the John Cryer version, who wants the acclaim, who wants the applause. And uh, so I think the fact that Lena and James do did and even Superman to a degree did reject him and think that he was not worthy of being celebrated. I think he probably did take that personally. So for me, i when I look at this Lex Luthor, I do see him as a character who um, would take that to heart and be very angry about it.
0: There's definitely that part of him. That's that where that's festering. It, it's it's just so hard to pin Lex Luthor down because you don't know if if he's like when he's talking about Lena with Red Daughter is does she actually remind him does Red Daughter actually remind him of Lena or is he just saying that to to get her to um, feel endearment toward him?
1: That's tough because I can see how you would read it that way because. Everything he does is a way, especially with Red Daughter is a way to get her attached to him yes uh, so I I can see it both ways and and that's that's a that's an interesting way to look at that because um, she seems to understand the dynamic between Lex and Lena and I think she is always looking for Alex like even her first thing that she says is Alex. And so her her need for an Alex in her life is what he fulfills for her. And he he doesn't I don't think he initially intended for that to be the case, but he capitalized on it. Because he knew he could play that up. And so he used it to his advantage. So uh, I think there is, on some level, uh, a manipulation going on there. Just to get her emotionally connected to him.
0: Lex Luthor. uh.
1: He is diabolical. Yes. But that's what makes him a great villain. Um, So I I thank him very much for giving us this opportunity to talk about The Great Gatsby. Uh, Even if he did not like the book or the story... Um, I think we both enjoyed it, and uh, Red Daughter for sure enjoyed it. She wore that book out. She read it so much. Um, So uh, thank you, Ian, for coming on Supergirl Radio again. uh, I've enjoyed every time you've come on the show and shared your thoughts about uh, comics and the the, the series itself. And I'm glad you could come on for this uh, more literary uh, episode and specifically uh, talking about a certain book and also... Uh, just a kind of a summation of some other books that were featured on the series. Um, so, Ian, is there anything that you're working on that you want to share with our listeners? Uh, where where can they find some of your work or anything that you're uh, currently uh, researching?
0: Well, my research focus is on superhero justice, kind of comparing the stories we tell each other with what we do in the real world. And um, if if you're interested in reading more about these kinds of things, I wrote a scholarly article for the journal mise-en-scene called Applying Suspense to Archetypal Superheroes, Hitchcockian Ambiguity in Batman v. Superman Dawn of Justice. Which is excellent. Yes, thank you very much. Um, So that's for free online. You could read that one. And I also wrote one for um, Popular Culture Review about the 1970s Wonder Woman show and her and Wonder Woman's Philosophy of Justice, so that's also available for free online, so if you'd be interested in reading either of those, they are there.
1: Ian does some really great work, I know, because I worked with him on a book called Humans and Paragons, which is a collection of essays about superhero justice, so you can check that out. That's also available on Amazon if you would like uh, to check that out. I do have a chapter in the book. If you are interested in it, it's all very good. Uh, So don't get it just for my chapter. Get it for everyone else who contributed because all of the essays are fantastic. Um, So uh, thank you, Ian, not only for coming on Supergirl Radio, but for writing about how Batman v. Superman uh, connects to Alfred Hitchcock films. Uh, That makes me extremely happy because I'm a fan of both of those. Thanks. Anytime. But uh, So if you want to contact Supergirl Radio, you can post a comment on our website at supergirlradio.com. You can email us at supergirlradio at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, you can call us at 678-718-7252. You can share your Gatsby thoughts with us if you'd like, uh, but make sure to do it uh, before Tuesdays at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at Supergirl Radio. You can listen to us on Google Play and iHeartRadio and Spotify, where we also have a Spotify playlist that includes music featured and inspired by the show. Uh, we're also on uh, Radio Public and Podchaser. We are listed on DC's fan page, which you can find at dccomics.com slash dc-fans. We're available on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher Radio, so if you have some time, we encourage you to give us a rating and write a, view, a review over there. Uh, and you can find all the links to all the things. All the things are on the the page at SupergirlRadio.com. On the right side of the page, you can find all of the links that I just mentioned. Because uh, I know it's a lot of information. So just go to SupergirlRadio.com and look on the right side of the page. You can find all the links there. And now we throw it over to Macho Man for the DC TV plugs. Oh, yeah. This is the Macho Man Randy Savage. And I'm here to tell you that Supergirl Radio... It's a part of the DC TV Podcast Network. So if you like other shows on their network, like Arrow, The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, iZombie, Black Lightning, Krypton, Batwoman, Titans, Doom Patrol, Swamp Thing, Stargirl, and don't forget the classic DC TV shows. You can subscribe to all this on DC TV Podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, and follow... At DC TV podcasts on Twitter and like DC TV podcasts on Facebook. Oh yeah, dig it! Well, you can find me on Twitter for the time being at at Derby Kid and Instagram at the Derby Kid. I have a few pictures from Superman Celebration that I shared on my personal Instagram that I did not put on Supergirl Radio's Instagram. So if you are interested in that, you can check it out there. I also voice a character named Leanne on a sketch comedy podcast called The Fakest. Season 2, Episode 4, titled All About Me, just uh, was released. And it features Leanne's origin story and her more of her interactions with uh, Grandma Snyder in Alabama. So if you're interested in that, check it out. It's very good. Amy from the Legends of Tomorrow podcast uh, is uh, featured as leanne's grandma snyder and she's fantastic and all of the stories are very good on the fakest very entertaining very funny very well written and i'm not just saying that because i provide a voice for one of the characters i would say that even if i wasn't uh so go check out the fakest that's uh fakest with an eye well that is gonna do it for red daughter's book report but until next time i'm still rebecca johnson and we'll leave you with this gatsby quote let us learn to show our friendship for a man when he is alive and not after he is dead.